Welcome to Daily Devoted. My name is Bishak Canyon. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. It's all about the kingdom of God and our place in it. Uh, right now, we're in a new series on the book of Daniel. And um, uh, I don't know if I said this in the, the first episode, but the reason I wanted to study this book is because the times that we're in really um, aligns with what's going on in the book of Daniel. Not exactly, but if you look at it from this angle of learning to be faithful and live faithfully or serve as a disciple of Jesus in a place that doesn't give credence to your God as being king of the universe, that's what Daniel is all about. And uh, I hope that as we study it, we can see like, what's the approach? What are the strategies? What is the frame of mind that I must have if I'm going to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ in a town that doesn't give credence to Jesus as king of the universe. So that's why I wanted to study it. So as you're studying it on your own, I encourage you to read it through uh, with that context, with those lenses uh, on your eyes, as it were. So today we're going to look at verses three through seven of chapter one. Um, remember, we're, we're taking a slow walk through so we can uh, dive deep and give some some careful thought to uh, some of the things that we might overlook if we rushed Uh, through it or looked at the passages in large chunks. So Daniel chapter one, verses three through seven. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans, The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So you see um, where I got my name from, in case some of you guys didn't know, I was named after Mishael, who was renamed uh, when he got to Babylon, uh, Meshach. Uh, that's, that's where my name comes from. This reminds me, a few years ago, I was at our annual conference. This is our, our meeting where all the pastors and some, some lay representatives go to do some business of the, the local denomination. And I, I met a pastor we were talking for a while. Then he said, I haven't introduced myself. He, he said, my name's so-and-so. And then I was like, oh, my name's Meshach. And then he said, oh, that's an interesting name. Where does it come from? This was a pastor. I immediately wanted to say, like, what seminary did you go to? Give me your degree. Give me your credentials because you are no longer allowed to do this. Because Meshach, if you're a pastor, you should know what Meshach means and you should know where it comes from because it's a famous fiery furnace story, right? Uh, Veggie Tales made it really popular. So everybody should know uh, who Meshach is, especially those of you who are serving in ministry. So what I want to look at in this passage is Nebuchadnezzar's strategy. Um, remember, Babylon has besieged Jerusalem and they've taken the people from Jerusalem and Judah back to Babylon. But now the question is, What's he going to do with them? What's his strategy? He has these people enslaved. And you can imagine that as they're walking towards Babylon, they're probably preparing for the worst. You know, maybe they have thoughts of Egypt uh, and their ancestors flooding their minds. 
here. We're about to be making uh, bricks out of straw all over again. So what is King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy? What does he want to do with the Israelites as he's bringing them back to his land? The answer to that question is really seen uh, through the things that he does when he gets there. What he wants to do with these Israelites is to make Babylonians out of them. He wants to assimilate them into a kind of Babylonian culture because his goal isn't just to um, enslave people and have a bunch of slaves working for him, but he wants to have the most powerful nation on the earth. And you can't have a powerful nation if you have slaves that are constantly ready to revolt. And so the way to um, keep people from revolting and longing from home is to make them feel like this is my home now. It's to slowly switch their identity from from an Israelite to a Babylonian. And he, I mean, the way that he does it is masterful. He does it by treating them well, you know? I mean, think about a POW camp. Uh, and in fact, there's a story of a POW camp. It's, it's probably made up where um, they asked the people as they as they brought them into the camp what their plans were for when they came home. And uh, the, the ones who had plans, they put them in this section of the POW camp where they, they treated them really well, you know, um, because they said, man, when I get home, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And so they put them in this part of the camp where they treated them really well. The ones who didn't have a plan, they put them in like a hard labor camp. The reason they did this was because the ones who had uh, hopes and dreams about life back home, if they could get them comfortable, then they would lose sight of those dreams. They'd be like, oh, things aren't that bad here. You know, well, I'll just keep on serving faithfully. They treat me nice. The people who didn't have any hopes, they put them in hard labor. They're going to do the work anyways, you know, because they're they they can't see past tomorrow. Nebuchadnezzar is taking the approach of making life really good for these people in the hopes that as they live in Babylon for a time, he'll make Babylonians out of them. And so he does it by en enrolling the best and brightest of them in his master's degree program, essentially, by giving them a daily portion of the food that he eats by clothing them in the kind of clothes that's suitable to wear uh, around him, by teaching them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, it's he's trying to make Babylonians out of them, right? And even in the renaming of them, in the renaming of them, he's trying to suggest to them like, hey, don't call yourself by the name that evokes feelings of your God anymore. You'll notice that most of their names have like a, like Mishael, that's, uh, I think that means my God is strong or something like that. Uh, so their names pointed back to the God that they served and, and Nebuchadnezzar renamed them because he's trying to change their identity, but not in a forceful way. He's trying to lull them into accepting a new kind of identity so that they will naturally begin to feel, I'm a Babylonian. Um, and so what's, what's the lesson? What do I think is important for us to take away from this? Well, the strategy that he uses uh, and that he implements, um, it's something that's still being used today. Not not intentionally, not, you know, it's it's not in a Nebuchadnezzarian kind of way. But if you think about the way we're invited to live our lives, we're invited to live in such a way that we embody certain values uh, and we move towards a certain vision of the good life. And those invitations are are handed to us in the form of practices. 
we engage in certain things in a communal way, in a corporate way. And through that engagement, our hearts are being recalibrated towards a certain vision. And then eventually we just feel as if, you know, I do belong. I preached a sermon a few uh, months ago at my church, uh, just kind of, and, and we'll actually talk about this later in Daniel. But I talked about the moment in the stadium where we all stand up and um, pledge allegiance to the flag or whatever the case may be. Those are very strong corporate liturgies that shape our hearts so that we feel like, you know, we're all in this together kind of thing. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. He's shaping their hearts by giving them practices, by giving them things to do that will eventually have them longing for uh, the good life according to the vision of King Nebuchadnezzar. America has really, American Christianity has really done a horrible job of being aware of this assimilation. That's why here in the West we have something called Christian nationalism, whereby to be a good Christian is to be a good American, and we don't see a distinction. Uh, that's it's all the enculturation by practicing certain things and embodying a certain vision of the good life. So then what can we do? Because we we can't help but live in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they had no choice but to be in Babylon and they had to eat while they're in Babylon. And, and we'll see some of what they did later on. But the first thing to do is to be aware that uh, attempts at assimilation are taking place. So be aware of what the things you're doing are doing to you. That's a quote by James K.A. Smith. He says, the things you do, do something to you. So it's always helpful to ask the question, how is this practice shaping me? You know, what vision is it trying to implant within me? What's it doing to me? And then when we're aware of that, sometimes we're free to continue to engage in a practice while without letting the spirit of that practice enter our hearts. You know, so it's possible for them to live in Babylon, to do some of the Babylonian things while remaining Israelites in their heart. And, and that's really the invitation for us who live in a strange land, just like they lived in a strange land, to be in the world, but not of the world. That simply means to live in the world as one whose heart belongs to another homeland. That's the, that's going to be the challenge for the Israelites. And we'll see how they um engage that challenge in different stories uh, in the rest of this book. Uh, but I, I invite you to ask, analyze the practices that you're participating in on a daily basis. You know, I, I can't, and I, you know, I'm, I am totally on board with America. I'm, I was in the military, I'm in the Marines, but because I was in the Marines and I've studied uh, cult corporate literatures, whenever I'm invited to uh, stand up and do the patriotic thing together. I always remind myself that my loyalty is with Jesus, you know? So in a way, and this may seem come off as radical to some of you, I can't pledge allegiance to the flag because I've pledged allegiance to Jesus. And there's going to be a time where my allegiance to Jesus may draw me in a different direction than the flag is calling me to, right? And so Although externally I'm an American and I'm appropriately patriotic in my heart, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And wherever my Christianity and my American patriotism link up, good and well. But when there's ever going to be that point where I have to choose this day who I'll serve, I'm going to choose 
um, how my heart has been calibrated. And hopefully that will be in the direction of God. So I'll pray for you. Read ahead. Next time we're going to see some of the strategies that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego used to remain children of God in their hearts while living in Babylon. But let me pray for you. Father, I give you thanks and praise um, for the way you're with us. Even in strange lands, you remain with us. In fact, that's one of the lessons that the Israelites are learning is that you're not only present to them uh, through the temple, but you're present to them through the atmosphere, through the kingdom of God. And the same is true for us. So help us to live in light of your ever-present reality. Help us to look to you, trust in you, receive life and grace from you. In Jesus' name, amen.